you, every day in the Rockies is a great day. Those of us who come from the flatlands of Iowa and the cornfields, I tell you, when I come out here, the majesty of the mountains, I'm just, oh. In fact, I told the people yesterday in our leadership workshop that uh, I've never lived in Colorado, but every time I come here, I feel like I'm home. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I know you could all be salespeople for uh, the state of Colorado. It's always a joy and an honor to be here with your pastors, Pastor Derek and Angie, your leadership team and this congregation. Uh, we think highly of you. We th we're so thankful for your partnership with us. Uh, last year at our convention, you guys just hit it out of the park, frankly. We had, a, we had a phenomenal convention, and no small part of that. The credit goes to your pastors, your leaders, your church. You just stepped up and did the job that normally in one of our conventions several churches would do, and uh, you just stepped up and did it all and did a phenomenal job of that. Thank you for your participation in Mission Venture Plan. This is the way that we reach around the world. Jesus told us to go into all the world to preach the gospel. He said, beginning in Jerusalem, Colorado Springs, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's how we work together in doing that through Open Bible Churches, reaching around the world through the Mission Venture Plan. So thank you for your participation and your prayer support for all of our people who are serving us around the world. Uh, Barbara sang one of the songs this morning that she has written, and uh, it's just because people have asked in the past, uh, she has a couple CDs. The first one that she did, $5 is available, and she has the newest one. And I think this song is on this, perhaps, uh, is uh, only $10. We have to put new uh, tires on our bus. <laughs> Actually, no, we don't do this for that reason. We just, uh, I'll give these back to you, Barbara. Uh, we just know there are some people who would like to have that music, and God's given it to her. And I always like to say, in Barbara's case, life began ever after 50 because she'd never written a song until after she was 50 years of age. And then it just sort of started happening like popcorn. So, How many of you have ever had, or right now, you have a real close buddy? That kind of person that you just love hanging out with. Like these two guys are going to show up here on the screen. Here's the two, two guys who are just uh, having fun, hanging out, and they just know there's something on the other, other side of that fence, and they've got to find out what it is, and they're going to do it together. Partners in crime, so to speak, you know? The joy of having that close buddy. My first buddy I ever had was in kindergarten. Went to kindergarten, and Dan Merklin and I just hit it off. We didn't fill out any application forms or, you know, anything like that. It's just that chemistry that, you know, we just hit it off. We would hang out together. We would recess. We'd always play, always play together out, out on the playground. If there's a chance to sit together, we would do that. Just loved hanging out with one another. And to show you what a close friend Dan was, for some reason, uh, when, when I went to kindergarten, I had not yet learned how to tie my shoes. And uh, I don't know, it was just easier for my parents to do I don't know what it was. I know some of you could psychoanalyze that and say, that explains a lot of things. Just leave it right there. Uh, but I hadn't learned yet, and it never occurred to me that there would come a time when I really would need to do this on my own. So we get in, uh, you know, you have a nap time in kindergarten. We, we take off our shoes and all lie down. And, and then the teacher would get us together and she'd say, all right, everybody, put your shoes back on. We're going to get in a circle. We were sitting on the floor. I don't know, story time or something like that. Put on your shoes. And everybody put on their shoes. And I put on my shoes. And a wave of horror came over me. 
As I looked to the right, saw him tying his shoes. I looked to the left and saw her tying her shoes. And you know, if there's one thing you don't want in kindergarten, it's to stand out as the odd one, huh? huh? Didn't really want that. Dan Merklin, sitting by me, quickly sized up the situation, reached, tied my shoes for me, and uh, that was just a sign of what kind of a good friend he was. I'll try not to flap my wings anymore. Maybe that was the problem. But. So, you know, years go by. Uh, we grew up, kind of go your separate ways. Dad's, Dan stayed in that, my hometown, and took over his dad's business. I went off to college and to do other things, and paths didn't really cross. Many years, see the pages on the calendar going flying by. You know. I go back to my hometown. I pull into a gas station. I walk inside. This must have been a while ago. I think I was paying for gas inside. <laughs> but I, I walked inside, and as I walked inside, there was a guy walking out of the gas station, and we kind of did one of these things. Dan Merklin? Randall Bach? Yeah, we stepped forward and shook hands and kind of sized one another, one other up, you know, because a few years had gone by. And then, as any good friend would do, didn't miss a beat, he looked back, he stepped back again, looked at me, and kind of wrinkled up in his face and pointed at me and said, You look old! <laughs> Dan's no longer my friend. <laughs> Well, you know, that's how it is when you have a friendship. You have that kind of intimacy of relationship you can share with one another. And I want to talk to us about relationships this morning, the kind of relationships that you and I have with one another, and the kind of relationship also, there's a parallel kind of relationship that we have with the Lord. Let's first of all look at this graph, this illustration about this uh, kind of, of relationships we have with people. The first level of relationship is awareness. Now, if you and I have never met, we just are aware of each other. I generally know that you're about this age, you know what your gender is, maybe you recognize your ethnicity, you know, just general description things about one another. Maybe even if we, you know, we ran into a restaurant later some other time, I might even say, I think I recognize that person. Or you might say, wasn't that guy, the, the, wasn't that the guy, you know, that was there at church today? That's just a general awareness. You don't know one personally but you just have an awareness about them. The next level of relationship is when you move to the level of acquaintance. And acquaintance is where we have been introduced. Uh, we've been introduced by name. I may or may not remember the name because that's not my specialty. It might take me a few more times after that to remember it. But we have that acquaintance at least when we'd see each other again and say, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I, I know who you are anyway, all right? Then there's that next level, which is a friend. At that point, we found we have some things in common. We enjoy spending time together. It's, a, it's the sort of thing that is a growing kind of relationship. You start somewhere, you look forward to getting together again so that you can build upon that. I have good friends here, Tom and Marilyn, with us, and we've known each other since way back when our kids were little uh, back in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, we don't get to see each other very often, and yet it's been many, many months, and we can just get together and pick right up where we left off from before. That's the kind of friendship that you have with people, the kind of thing that is a growing, deepening sort of relationship. And then there's that next level, which is confidant. I refer to that as confidant because that's that special person with really be honest. You know, it's that kind of person, it's totally safe. There aren't many like that, are there? When you find a confidant, you know you've really found someone. 
It's the kind of person that you could bear your soul. You might be afraid to say that to anyone else, but to that person, you know it's safe. That person will not condemn you. That person will not judge you. That person will say, okay, let's talk about that. Let's see how I can help you with that if I can in any way. That's the kind of person that if everyone else would judge you and say you are an absolute jerk, that person would say, uh, you don't know him like I do. Uh-uh, no. You don't know her like I do. That's a confident level. You, when you have someone as a confident in your life, you are really blessed. That is a buddy for life. Well, you know, in the same way, just as there are levels of intimacy of relationship between people, there's a parallel kind of intimacy, levels of intimacy relationship with the Lord. So if we go to this next illustration, we'll show how that works. There is also that initial, uh, initial awareness about God. You know, uh, for years now, I would go to churches Maybe smaller churches in a small community where they'd be dedicating a new facility and it's a big thing in that city. Here you have so many churches, somebody says, what? But in a little town, you know, it's, it's really a big deal. And so uh, oftentimes I would go there and they'd bring all the dignitaries they could in and the mayor would be there and everybody, you know, and they'd have an official thing. And, and uh, the mayor, um, in those cases, often would not really know the Lord God but would have a general awareness of God, but would try so hard to act like he had something more than that and talk about <clears throat> the man upstairs. Now, as soon as he talked about the man upstairs, you knew he probably had not progressed beyond a general awareness. When you can't call upon the Lord God as your Lord and your God, then you probably haven't gone too far in knowing who he is, right? There's that kind of just general awareness about who he is. The next level of relationship is what I would refer to as confessional. That's when we move into more of an intimate relationship with him. Uh, Jesus said to the men who were following him, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the chatter out there, guys? What do they say? Well, uh, somebody, somebody, I heard somebody say, you're one of the prophets we tried. They're like, uh, Elijah. Someone else said, yeah, somebody else told me they thought you were like Jonah, maybe come back, you know. And there's this little bit of chatter going on as Jesus is inquiring. But as Jesus would often do when he asked the question, he was really aiming for another question at a deeper level. Because after they'd had this open conversation about what, what everybody's saying about him, Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter responded and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. That was a confessional statement. I know who you are. I acknowledge you in your divinity. I acknowledge you, Jesus, as the Son of God. How many of you have made a confessional relationship with Jesus? Amen. It's when you have said, I make you Lord of my life. I will no longer be the same. And it's when you get in that foxhole, you can give thanks for what is coming then because you know where you're going to go. Amen. That's a beautiful place. That's the beginning point, really, of a relationship with God. The other is just a general awareness. I believe there's a God out there somewhere. But confessional is, I know who He is and have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And that next level, then, is discipleship. And that's when you become a follower of Jesus. That's when you say, all right, all right, I know I've accepted him, I've confessed him as my Lord and Savior, but I want to make him now the God of my life, where I will want to dedicate my life to following what he tells me to do. 
I will look into his word. And when I read his word, I won't be saying, well, that's good for him. That's good for her. That's, Lord, speak to me. Speak to my heart. Show me, O Lord. Teach me your ways. Help me to be the man or the woman of God that you want me to be. That's what it's like to be a disciple. And there are very, various gradations of being a disciple as well. There's a, there's a step also when you reach a point of saying, I want more of you. We sang that beautiful song, more than anything. I want more of you, you know. There's a step also of saying, Lord, I want all of you. And the Lord says, well, I have more of you to give of myself. It's called the Holy Spirit. And it's when we allow him to baptize us, Jesus baptizes us, fills us with the Holy Spirit. We have the comforter, we have the enabler, we have the helper with us, so that as we endeavor to be disciples and followers of him, we're not doing that in our own strength. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you see, you can even at that point stop, because sometimes people, people will say, I, I'm willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and will invite the Holy Spirit in, and it's like they will open the front door to their house, invite him in, and... The disciples were in the process of becoming the disciples. In fact, that's, uh, that's where we're also moving to that next stage where they were being called of God. You know, I heard um, our missionaries to Mexico, uh, the Phillips, the other day sharing in our chapel, and he said, you know, we're like the one percenters. We've sold out. They were set. Home paid for. Close to family. And they said, but we want to follow what God is telling us to do. And they're now ministering in Mexico. I salute them because they've responded to the call of God. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture this morning in Luke chapter 5. And this is the account of the first calling of the disciples. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master... We've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Father, we've come into this place today to glorify you. We've come here for lots of reasons, Lord. Our first, our first purpose, though, is to worship and glorify you. But then we've come here to receive more of you, to learn more about, about you, to become more of the people that you want us to be. As we look at this illustration up here this morning about the levels of relationship with you, I'm so mindful and aware of the fact that we're all individuals in this congregation. Some of us maybe are at the awareness stage. Some of us may be confessional, maybe not quite. Some may be having walked partway into discipleship. Maybe some even being confronted with a call by you for service. 
Lord, we just present ourselves to you afresh this morning, praying that you will speak to us, Lord. Help us to be the people that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You begin to know who God is when you're confronted by his power, his love, his grace, and your awareness of your unworthiness for all of that. When you come to grips with that, how much God loves you, and when you see the power of his work in your life, when you experience the grace of his love in your life, and when you realize there's nothing I've done to deserve this, that's when we are really confronted by who God is. What relationship do you have with the Lord? I'm asking you this morning. How many of you are grandparents? Isn't that the neatest place in life? You're about to find out. And it's just so much fun. It's just so much fun to have a grandchild. You get to spoil them, do everything you want. You know, our little granddaughter, we have one, we have one child and one grandchild. We do everything on the economy scale. And uh, our granddaughter, who lives in Minneapolis, we live in Des Moines, and it's not always easy to get together. So when we get those chances, I mean to tell you, we squeeze them. And... Uh, one Saturday morning when Nova was staying with us, um, Grandma wasn't up yet, but Nova and I are both early risers. Grandma was going to be fixing breakfast, and Nova and I both liked chocolate milk. And I said, hey, Nova, how about if we go down to the gas station and get a little something before Grandma has breakfast? So this was my shot, or a little selfie I took, the two of us on the front step. I cherish that picture, you know. And then when Nova is with us and she goes home and we give all the hugs and squeezes, oftentimes I'll go into my office and she likes to take post-it notes and leave something like this for Grandpa. I'm going to get gushy myself right now. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. I'm getting all syrupy at this point. I mean, I, I even love the misspelling of very, you know. It, it's just absolutely a classic. Well, we have good friends, uh, David and Teresa Ferguson. They're about our age and they had grandchildren before we did. David tells a story about the first grandchild they ever had. First of all, you need to know this background about David. David grew up in the home of a Marine Corps drill instructor. Now, that's okay as long as you're with Marines, but it's not so good with your son because that Marine Corps drill instructor treated his son like one of his Marines. Uh, David tells how every morning there'd be inspection, the quarter had to bounce off the bed. Everything had to be meticulously in order. There was no warmth. There was no extended love. It was all harsh, by-the-book, soldier kind of thing. David said, if it hadn't been for a loving granddad, he said, I don't know how I would have made it. I saw something modeled in my grandfather who loved me that I never saw that in my dad. So, so David grew up and had to work through all of that. And sometimes it's a lifetime of working through things like that. So he and Teresa... Uh, had their children, and now they're going to have their first grandchild, and they were so excited. And they had an extra bedroom they were going to fix up like a nursery, get it all prepared, because at some point this grandchild was going to come and stay with them, right? They had that nursery just adorned with everything, you know, the crib and the mobile above it and everything you could possibly buy, grandparents buy, you know. This, this was the model nursery for grandparents. They Even at that time, they put in a microphone to monitor. Now, today, that's no big deal. You can put a video monitor in, but that was, that was big stuff then. You know, put a microphone in with a speaker in the family room so they could be totally tuned in to this child. So sure enough, this grandbaby comes to stay with them. 
And Teresa gets a hold of that grandbaby, and David's sitting in his chair, and he's been reading, and he looks up, and Teresa has that little baby. Oh, aren't you just the most precious thing? And David's just marveling at that, you know. Uh, Us, uh, talking to Derek the other day, going to have a grandchild, us guys look forward to when they start playing ball, you know, things like that, you know. But for that grandma and that mother, this is the high point right here, holding that little bundle. And so she would do that and rock that little baby and and uh, sure enough, the baby was falling asleep, and it was time to put him to bed. So she would get up and walk into that nursery, carefully put that grandbaby down in that crib, cover him up, pat, 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 pat. Pats are always required, you know. Pat, 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 pat. And then would come back out into the family room, sit down, and tune her ear to the frequency of that speaker. And waited for the first whimper that she could hear to know it was time to go back in to attend to that child. David's watching all this and marveling, as us guys do, marvel at that maternal uh, kind of nurturing strength that there is in the woman. Well, sure enough, in due time, there's that little whimper coming. This baby's starting to wake up. And David says, Teresa doesn't just get up. She explodes up out of the chair. And goes rushing in and scoops up that baby and brings that baby out. And here we go all over again. <laughs> David is sitting there marveling, just enjoying the moment. And then he had one of those moments, maybe some of you have had this, where it's like the Holy Spirit says, Hey, there's something here I want you to recognize. There's something more deeper. There's something deeper here I want you to recognize. Almost like when Jesus said, Who do they say that I am? Who do you say that I am? David said, you know, when I grew up, my concept of God, because of that Marine Corps drill instructor who was the only God-like figure he had seen, my concept of God was when I woke up in the morning, God was probably saying, oh, no, he's awake. What kind of mess is he going to get into today? What am I going to have to help him with today? What a burden he is. That was his concept of God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart as he saw his wife, his grandma, delighting in this child. And the Holy Spirit said to David, David, that's how I feel about you when you wake up in the morning. My first thought is, he's awake. I get to spend the day with David. I delight in being part of your life. What you see there in Teresa, that's how I feel toward you, David. That story so describes the relationship that the Lord desires to have with each of us. Wherever we are in that little illustration, you know, in those concentric circles, the Lord is saying, come deeper. Come closer to me. I love you that much. I want to wrap you with my arms also and let you know how much I love you. Even in the midst of whatever you may be going through and you may feel like you're a piece of junk at times. And there may be other people who would help you feel that way. (laughs) Not that anyone would ever do that. But God is saying, I don't believe it. I created you. I love you. You are not junk. You are precious to me. It wasn't by mere coincidence that day 
that Jesus went down to Peter's boat. I don't know how all these things work out. I'm not that kind of mathematician. But somehow, in God's divine prerogative, Jesus went to Peter that day. And it's not by coincidence that, that God comes to you also and confronts you throughout your life at various times in life. I saw a beautiful um, thing on Facebook today. Someone had a camera on, on a shuttle that was not a shuttle, but the space station that was circling the earth. And it was the most monumental thing. And I thought, the majesty of God's creation, and yet His Word says the very hairs on our head are numbered. For Derek, that's not hard, but for many of us, that means a lot. <laughs> He's my friend, remember, okay? <laughs> I should have warned some so you could. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so what, what we have happening in this story when we read about Peter is Peter was transitioning. Peter had been kind of like, I could say, Joe Christian, you know, just your average good Christian. He's the kind of guy who would show up and go to church once in a while. He'd probably put something in the offering plate once in a while. He was an all-around good guy, and, and he would come to church when it didn't interfere with fishing because that was his passion. That was his first passion at that point. And he'd been the classic kind of person who has this general awareness and maybe he's become confessional. I know who Jesus is. But his relationship with the Lord had been primarily up to that point more taking than giving. How many of you know that when you get into a real personal warm relationship, it's both giving and taking, isn't it? It's giving and receiving. And Peter had to walk into that realm of his relationship with the Lord. And just like that grandmother longs for more than just to know the baby is in the house, God longs to be involved intimately in our lives and to work through us to bring others into relationship with Him. He's always preparing us for the next experiences in life, but we can so easily miss it. I have this, uh, I'm a visual person, so I have to see things to understand them. Now, I have this picture of life. It begins like this. It's like a timeline. You know what a timeline is? Only in this time, there are various rooms, and you go from one room into the next room. The first room when you're born, when you're a baby, like that little baby, as long as you're fed on one end and dry on the other, life is good, right? That's the extent of your world. Uh, life is great. You move into the next room, lo and behold, I have to tie my own shoes. You know, there's this progression that takes place of things that you learn. And you get into bigger responsibilities, more kinds of things that you have to deal with. Life becomes more complex. Life even becomes very challenging. You have decisions to make that will alter the rest of your rooms the rest of your life. There are rooms that you walk into and you can say, oh, wow, this is cool. I love it here. And you'd like to just stay there, but... It's kind of like there's a conveyor belt under this timeline, you know? Life keeps moving on, doesn't it? You don't get to just camp out in one room. We know ultimately there's going to be one final room. We just don't know when it is. We keep saying, go like that, go like that. But it, for some of us, it's going to be closer. Some of us, it's going to be farther out. But, but we have all of these rooms. We don't know how many of them are, but life keeps moving us on between those rooms. Some people get in rooms and they'd say, this room is dark. It's cold. I can't even see my way to the other side. I desperately want to get through this room. I want to be out of this room. I feel like I'm stuck. This is almost like hell itself. I'm stuck here. Some of you have probably walked into rooms like that. 
Maybe some of you feel like you're dwelling in one of those right now. I believe there's another room on the other side. Can I just say that as an article of faith to you today? And, and sometimes we don't understand how the Lord is lovingly working with us as we transition between those rooms. I'm going to ask Damon to help me as my lovely assistant here on the platform. So. Damon is going to represent you. And let's say you're all about this far, Damon. Right? You're this far into your timeline. You're walking through the rooms and you're, you're pointing toward that ultimate destination, which you know is going to be heaven, but there's lots of rooms in between. Here's the way we often view God. It's kind of like God is behind us, okay? And God is always doing like this to us. And, and, and you and I are like Damon and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't make me go where I don't want to go. Don't push me like this. And so it's kind of like this sort of thing that's going on between God and us. It's, that's the kind of relationship sometimes we picture with God. That's totally wrong, folks. That's not how it works. That's that Marine Corps kind of uh, visualization of, of God just pushing us, cracking the whip. Instead, here's the way it works. Wherever this end is, God has already been there. Whatever these rooms are, God already knows about them. God has been here. And God is coming up and saying, Damon, come with me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. There are some rooms here. Some of them may even be tough, but you will not be alone. Come on with me. I'll walk with you through everyone. You will never be alone. Thank you, Damon. Thank you, Damon. How easy it would have been that day for Peter, who was feeling a little bit like Damon was in the first instance. You know, how easy it would have been for him to tell Jesus to go take a hike or get out of the boat first and then take a hike. I mean, consider, what do we know about Peter's temperament? Volcanic, perhaps? And so here he is. He has been fishing all night, folks. He is tired. I don't know about you. I like to work hard. I'm, I'm good with working hard, but I do not like to work hard and have nothing to show for it. Huh? Ooh, that gets to me. I feel mad then too. So he's feeling just a little short on the fuse, this volcanic temperament. He's been fishing all night and he humors Jesus by taking him out a little bit from the distance of the shore there so that Jesus could teach the people. And so Jesus is standing in the boat teaching and I can just picture Peter sitting here doing one of these things, trying to keep his eyes open if he can. And then Jesus sits down in the boat, looks over to him and says, Hey Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter begins to smolder. And he's ready to sound off and really give Jesus a piece of his mind and tell him what's up. Hey, parents, have you ever had this experience? When you tell your child to do something and your child says, why? And you think, <laughs> and you think, uh, okay, I'll find other words. I obviously didn't do a good enough job of communicating. This is on me, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll explain this better. And you give a world-class explanation. And you get done, and the child stands there and says, but why? And at this point, you're thinking, we might have a problem here. 
But I read in Dobson's book, I've got to be loving and patient here. So I'm going to uh, love the child, you know, don't spoil him. Okay, I'm going to try this one more time. And, and so you, you share what you want done, this time lovingly, but perhaps just with a bit more firmness in your mouth. You are enunciating it perhaps with just a bit more emphasis so that the child could not possibly misunderstand what you are saying. It will be totally clear when I get done with this. And you know what happens? But why? Now, at this point, you have a choice as a parent. For me, three times is enough. Okay? And you've probably done it. I confess I've done it. When they say, but why, you say, because... That's right. In every culture, I don't care where you go, there comes a point when you just say, because I'm pulling out the authority stick. I'm the cheese here. That's why. I don't care whether you like this or not. It's because I say so. You are going to do this. It does work, I guess, doesn't it? I'm not proud of myself of having done that, though, but I guess I'm in good company, it sounds like. so. (laughs) Now, Now, consider this. When the parent says that to the child, it is the assertion of authority. I'm telling you I'm in charge. I am an authority. And because I say so, that's why you will do it. Consider, though, what happened in the boat. When Jesus said, hey, let's go fishing. And Peter said, Master, look, we've worked hard all night. I can imagine he wanted to say, you know, you grew up as a carpenter's son. You probably know how to make a chair. Me, I'm a fisherman. And I know there are no minnows out there even. He wanted to, he was ready to sound off. He was ready to give him the full load on why he did not need to go out and do what seemed like a silly and frankly a stupid thing of all times of the day, early morning, no fish there at all. Can you hear his voice, the crescendo in his voice? Master, we, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And then he felt checked. Oh, Holy Spirit, do I need that? What about you? This little member right here. And Peter knew how to use it. He could use it like the sword that he used to lop off an ear. He could lop off ears with his tongue. And he was ready to give it to Jesus in that way. But he felt checked. And then he said, and it'll be different translations that you'll read of this, but basically the essence of what he said was, but because you say so, I will do it. Now, folks, when a parent says, because I say so, it's the assertion of authority. When we say to Jesus, because you say so, it's the voluntary submission to authority. Oh, to move beyond confessional to move into that discipleship stage, that disciple stage, being able to say, Lord, I don't understand why you want me to do this. I'd love to. Maybe someday you'll show me. Maybe I won't know until heaven, but I have this kind of belief and trust in you. I have this kind of relationship with you that if you say so, I will do it. I will be faithful to you because you say so. They left their nets, they left their boats on the shore, and it seemed crazy to them. That's all they knew to that point in their lives. It was the main thing in their lives. 
there was nothing wrong with fishing. All the fishermen can say, there's, there's nothing wrong with fishing whatsoever. But God, but Jesus did not want fishing to come before him. And so they left everything on the shore. The things that had been so precious to them formerly up to that point. Boats, nets. I see this big pile of stinking fish flip-flopping on the sand. This was the big one, you know. The kind of catch every fisherman would dream of. They left it all in order to turn and follow him. Where are you today in your walk with him? I was so moved as we sang that song this morning. I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. And I realized, Lord, that's the cry of my life. You may think, well, you're the president of Open Bible. You're okay. I, I'm just a pilgrim like you. I need him. And God is saying, Randall Bach, there's more for you. I want you to draw closer to me. I want you to go deeper with me. It's my humble faith and prayer this very day that the Holy Spirit is saying that to you as well. I don't know where you are in all those circles. I don't need to know. He knows. He's inviting you to go deeper. Would you bow your heads with me in prayerful contemplation as I ask you a few questions? First of all, do you know him beyond an awareness? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? It's not something that is just a verbal assent. It's not just whether you come to church. It's whether you personally have accepted him as your Lord. Secondly, are you a follower of Jesus? If you've, if you've confessed Him as your Savior, are you truly a follower? Instead of saying, I will do everything that I want to with my life, and then when it's convenient, ask the Lord to be a part of it, or when I'm in trouble, ask Him to be a part of it. And instead, I will be a follower that starts with Him. Oh, Lord, who do you want me to be? Oh, God, what do you want me to do? How could I please you with my life today? It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. And I want to please you in every way with my life. Have you invited him to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? To allow him to possess you in the way he wants to, to fill every corner of your being with his power and his presence. There may be some people here today that the Holy Spirit may even be talking to you to move beyond discipleship. Maybe there's some kind of calling He's speaking to you about. I don't know what that is, but it's something where you know the Lord is saying to you, He wants you to be kind of like Peter and saying, I'm willing to lay it all in line for you. Whatever I thought was most important, I will give to you. And then these questions before we pray this morning. You know that journey of life, all of those interconnected rooms, Maybe some of you this morning are in one of those bright, fresh, airy rooms of delight and joy and excitement. And if so, I am so thankful and happy for you. Oh, I rejoice with you today. We give thanks to the Lord for that. But we know life has lots of rooms in it. And there might be some of you that you feel like you're in one of those other rooms right now. It's not a very inviting place. If you had any alternative, you would go to another room. But it's where you are right now. And you so know that you need God to help you. You need the reassurance to know that just as Damon was up here and we walked together, that the Lord is saying, 
Come with me. I am with you. You are not alone in this place. Follow me. Some of you may have had an incorrect concept about who the Lord is. Maybe you thought He's been behind you, pushing you, and there's all everything inside of you saying, I won't go where I don't want to go. But really, you need to have a fresh discovery today that He's out in front. He's inviting you to walk with Him. Just prayerfully pause for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. At this point, it isn't what I'm saying. It's what He's saying to you. The application. Jesus knows and He understands. He knows every aspect of your life. And just like that grandma, He wants you to be closer to Him. Would you just quietly stand with me? Would you please stand with me as we remain in an attitude of prayerfulness? We're going to be closing, dismissing. I'm I'm aware of the time. But I feel with all of my heart I feel deep in my spirit that for some people, this day is an important day. I don't need to hype that. This isn't about me. I'm not looking to, to count, you know, uh, notches in a belt or anything. I'm not into that kind of stuff. I just, I felt this witness as I sat here this morning. That the Holy Spirit is dealing with some people today. And there's something today, either that I've said or the Lord has said, in spite of what I'm saying, about drawing closer to Him. He wants you to take that next step toward Him. He wants you to come closer in relationship to allow Him to meet you where you are and to walk with you. You know where you are right now, and so does He. He's inviting you to come today, be closer to Him. He's going to ask you to come and stand here, and I know there are other people here who are uh, prayer uh, intercessors who will come and stand with you. I'll not prolong this. I'll ask Pastor Derek to come. But I would feel like a failure if I walked away at this point because there are some people who need to respond to this today. I'm, I'm usually not broken like this. This isn't usually me, but there's something that's just passionate in my soul. There's, this is a divine appointment day for some of you. Oh, as you lead us in that song, I'm just going to invite you. You know who you are. Just ask you to come and stand here. And there's someone here who loves you. Maybe that buddy or somebody else is going to come and stand and pray with you. All right. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word that you brought to us. Father, I pray no matter what circle we find ourselves in, that God, all we feel is your gentle leading to keep moving forward in our relationship with you. You're worthy of all our praise. And as we've sung today and we've said today so many times, there's none like you. And there is none beside you, Lord God, in our lives. We hold you in high esteem and honor and all these things in Jesus' name. Well, could we put our hands together for the message that Randall brought today and the song that Barbara shared with us? And I wanted to say that, that I found myself as one of those parents, Randall, that actually had three responses. Not just three responses, but four. And I would move beyond the one because I said so. And it would actually sometimes come to that one where they would say, why again? And then it would bring the response, because I brought you in this world and I can take you out. (laughs) Be blessed this week and enjoy.